0: Thank you for listening to Overcomer's Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. So I, have to, I just have to say something just uh, funny here. And so it was when Ron was singing and he was talking about suits and ties and patent leather shoes and, and uh, things like that. I just um, want you to know the kind of communication that goes on between him and I sometimes. I put yesterday in the afternoon I said just a, a reminder we don't have to fit in, we don't have to fit into any kind of Easter service program any resurrection song is great and certainly celebrated just, but just be led by the Holy Ghost like you are any other week and he said sounds good I said other than that I want you uh, or, Yeah, other than I want you in a three piece suit <laughs> but not a white one because I'm wearing a white suit and I don't want you to outshine me so then he said, I'll just wear my patent leather shoes. <laughs> and so that was pretty much the end of it. So <laughs> there you go. Hallelujah. Man, you got to have fun sometimes. Yeah. Amen. Nothing wrong with white shoes or, or pink ties or suits or anything, but man, it's about Jesus. Hallelujah. So I want to talk today about really about the gospel, but about how sufficient the gospel is and how much greater the gospel is than anything that we could do. It's a very simple mes- message, but it's what the Lord has been stirring in my heart the last several days. And sometimes I, I, I uh, will preach and minister things because it's like the Lord stirs my heart. But then sometimes I have outside things come to me that really stir me to preach things. And so I had something that, that somebody gave me this past week, which I'll mention in a, in a minute, um, and showed me something, and it just stirred my heart to want to preach this because we need to understand that the basic things that God has given us are the most important things to sustain us in this life. And we can learn about all of the deep, wonderful mysteries and deep things of God, and we can prophesy, and we can do all of the, the great stuff in the kingdom of God. But if we walk away from the simplicity of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, then we've, we've missed out on the heart of what God has for us. And so, um, so the resurrection message today, you know, I, I, I learned something this past Christmas um, and I decided that I just was going to say Merry Christmas and then just preach what was on my heart. And so today I'm going to say happy resurrection day. And I'm just going to preach what's on my heart. Does that sound all right with you all? Amen. I just have removed the stigma that it has to be just some particular resurrection, resurrection message. Y'all know that Jesus raised from the dead, right? Praise God, and we celebrate it all through the year. If you celebrate the resurrection of Jesus one day a year, you got one of the sorriest lives of any person that I'd ever meet. So praise the Lord. So this is just, to me, is just another day to look at. And, of course, we're reminded it is the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. But I'm just going to preach what the Holy Ghost has got for us today, if that sounds good to you. Over in Romans chapter 1, and I love this verse, Romans chapter 1. In verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so the gospel is the thing. I want to say this on a personal note. The gospel is the thing that changed my life. And there is only one gospel, and it's the gospel of grace that the Lord has given to us. There isn't another gospel And so I I was just thinking and meditating in my my heart this past week about how powerful the gospel is. And I want to show you another verse over in Galatians, um, Galatians chapter 1. Let's look at this here real quick, Galatians chapter 1. And in verse six, and this is Paul writing in Galatians, and he was basically pulled the gloves off and just beat the Galatians to a pulp with his words, because they had turned away from the gospel that he first brought to them, and they were believing other things. And he says, "I marvel that you turn that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you." in in the grace of christ to a different gospel and so notice that he uses the word grace and gospel interchangeable there so when we're talking about the gospel in specific there is only one gospel and it's the grace of god it's the goodness of god it's what he's given to us on an unearned unmerited basis it's the power of god for everyday living and in the next verse, he goes on and he says, which really is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we preach, what, what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Those are really strong words coming from the apostle Paul. He was saying, if you're preaching, if anybody's preaching anything other than what I preached to you first, which was not just some gospel message, but was the grace of God, if anyone preaches anything to you besides that, let that person be accursed. And in fact, he says it two times there. Those are really strong words. So this past week, I had something come across my uh, my Facebook messenger, and I, and I was really glad this person sent it to me, but there's a... a uh, A man of god who i've followed uh, to a certain extent and when he sent me that i was sent this from somebody and it was a it was an article and let me tell you about that i'm not going to mention his name but about this particular man of god he is a prophet that is set to i believe this nation and he has tremendous amount of influence he has tremendous amount of revelation and I'm reading a book by him at the moment, and I've gotten tremendous things out of it. You know, it, uh, the old saying about eat the hay and spit out the sticks. I've had to spit out some sticks, but I've gotten to eat a lot of hay. So tremendous stuff I've gotten from this guy. But I got this article, and this just really set me on fire for about two days. I couldn't think about anything else. Um, so I read this article, and at the top of the article, the title of it was Reasons, Three Reasons Why God Would Put Sickness on You. And for some of y'all that you've never, you've not really heard me minister before, you'd think, well, that sounds pretty normal. I got news for you. That is, that is not good news. That is not the gospel. And that is not the truth of the word of God. And so I, here I had this, and I've got a point with all this here. I had this, this man that I've, I mean, I don't really glean on and hang on every word that the man says, but I do have a lot of respect for him because of the influence that he's having in the earth It's tremendous. And then i see him put out this article and i think how how could this person that operates at this high level that operates prophetically very strong and has this great ministry and is doing these great things has written all these books speaks at all these conferences come out and publish an article like that and the article basically when i when i got to the end of it i first of all realized that it was doctrinal fallacy that he had been taught wrong, he had believed wrong, and now he was passing it on to other people. And so it just just lit a fire inside of me. And when I got to the end of it, I realized what had happened was that he never had established in his heart the basic fundamental truths of the gospel. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone to that place. And for anyone that says, well, I think God does put sickness on people. I got about 14 hours worth of messages that I could Preach to you if we had 14 hours to prove to you from the word that God does not put sickness on people. God does not allow sickness to come up on people. God will never lead us into or give us anything that Jesus has redeemed us from. He's redeemed us from sin. He's redeemed us from poverty. He's redeemed us from sickness. And the list goes on and on and on. God will never lead you into anything that Jesus has redeemed us from. Can I get a big amen? Amen. And so when I saw these things, I realized this guy has got tremendous gifts working, but he's got something foundationally that is very off in his theology. It doesn't matter how high you go in the Lord, if you have things off in your base, you are gonna mess the people up that you are ministering to. And if you're not ministering, but you're just trying to receive it yourself and having trouble, it might be because there's something off in the foundation of what you believe. And so the Lord took me, and there's a verse that describes this, a passage out of Hebrews chapter 5. Let's turn there really quickly, Hebrews chapter 5. And there's a passage here that describes this really well. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 12. And to give you a little backing on what Hebrews is talking about, is the whole, really the whole theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. Well, really any prophet. But Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than um, the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than everything. And so when the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews was writing to the Hebrews What was happening is that they were being tempted to go back underneath of Judaism. And Judaism basically is a system of works in order to obtain favor from God. They believed in the same God, but they were were straying that way away from the gospel because somebody had come to them, just like Paul wrote to the Galatians, and somebody had come to them and preached a different gospel And so they were confused in their mind in in terms of not only salvation, but walking out their salvation, if it was really just by grace and what Jesus did, or if you had to add other things to it. I heard someone say this one time, and I thought it was really good, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In terms of our relationship with the Lord, it's not about our performance, it's about his performance. Amen. And so here in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and in verse 12, and remember the Hebrews were the ones that they were the ones that had a covenant with their God when nobody else in the earth had a covenant with their God. They were the ones that carried the law of God. They were the ones that had all of the miracles and tremendous things happen to them and not all the other peoples of the earth. And so they should have been the mature ones. And it says here in Hebrews 5 and 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And so when I was reading this article from this particular man of God, who I consider to be a great man of God, this verse came back to me, and I realized he's unskilled in the word of righteousness because he has the need for someone to come back and teach him some very basic things concerning relationship with the Lord. See, what happens is that people get into ministry, and they're they have their shooting for something great, and many times they'll receive tremendous things from the Lord. They'll have great things happen in their life, but they miss the foundational things. They miss the basic things, and when you have somebody like that, and they They build their house on top of something different than the grace of God. You better watch out because that person's house is likely to fail and crumble. And I'm not prophesying that and wishing that upon anybody. I'm just telling you what the word says. Paul said, as a wise master builder, according to the grace of God, I have laid the foundation. Let him who builds on it be careful how he builds on it. Why? It's because it's supposed to be according to grace. Grace has everything to do with what Jesus has done, what God has done through Jesus and not about what we do. It's all about the finished work of the cross and not about our performance. So in, if you write an article and tell people reasons why God might put sickness on you, and one of those reasons is in essence that you, he needs to discipline you, every time that you would have sickness in your body, you could be wondering, is God trying to discipline me? Because how many of y'all know that we all need discipline? Amen. We all need some straightening out. So if you believed that in your core that, oh, I've got this cough, I've got this cold, I've got a cancer, I've got whatever it is, and God's trying to teach me something, then you're never going to stand against the very thing that Jesus has redeemed us from and given us authority over. Amen. So you see that those kind of things like that, we have to have that sure foundation in us that we know where we stand and what Jesus has redeemed us from. So let me go on and show you this a little bit more. So it says, for he who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Well, what's the word of righteousness? I've heard a lot of people say different things concerning this, but let me tell you what the word of righteousness is. It's not about your right living, but it's about the righteousness that God has given you through your faith in Jesus. See, we have a right standing with the Lord because of what Jesus has done and faith in him, not because of our actions or our works. So if anyone is needing to be taught foundational things, again, it's because they don't know the righteousness, they don't have, they're not grounded and rooted and grounded in the word of righteousness for their babe. So I look at somebody and I think they can, they can operate in the gifts of the spirit, they can do all these tremendous things, but then they would come back and say, well, God might put sickness on you to teach you somebody something. That's somebody that doesn't have the word of righteousness rooted and grounded in their life. Look, God does not relate to you according to your condition, but according to your position. Let me say it again. He does not relate to you according to your condition, but your position. How many of y'all know that some of our condition needs to be fixed? We've got some conditions, some dysfunctions, some issues that we need God to help us with. And you know what? We need God to help us with those things. But you have to remember something that just because you have conditions and issues and problems, if you've been born again, those conditions don't determine the position that you're in in Christ Jesus. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says to put on the new man, which was created according to righteousness and holiness. So we've got this new man, this new creation on the inside. And we have to learn to relate to and walk according to that. But at the same time, recognize there's some things outwardly that need to be changed. And I believe that they're being changed day by day. But if you don't have the word of righteousness grounded in you, that you are right with God because of what Jesus has done, you're going to find yourself wavering all through life. Because at what point... Are you living disciplined enough that the Lord wouldn't send sickness on you or poverty on you or some issue on you to teach you a lesson? At what point are we disciplined enough? You can't ever be disciplined enough. So that's why Jesus had to come and Jesus had to make the way for us to just be right with God, period, based on his actions, based on his atonement, based on what he did. And so we have to move away from having a works mentality to having a faith in God mentality. And so if we go on and read here, in verse 14, it says, But uh, salad food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now look here in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... So he's saying, you you need to go on and press on and not have to lay the foundation again. He said, let us go on to perfection, not laying the foundation. Look here now. There's five different things that he lists here. Some people say six, but it's five. The first thing he says of the foundation that we shouldn't have to lay again is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. That's one doctrine, if you will. And I'm going to come back and hit on that for a minute. But let me read these five things here. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. That's number one. Of the doctrine of baptisms of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And just so anybody isn't going like, man, I feel like nothing because I can't explain all those things. Most of you in here probably have some good understanding about it. You just may not, you may not term it like that, all right? So hang with me. But I want to go back and look at the number one there, which is not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. It's very important that we understand that there are three different types of works listed in the Bible. There are good works, There are evil works and there are dead works. This here says repentance from dead works. Here's the difference. An evil work is easy to to see. It's evil in nature. And people doing things that are evil, that's an evil work. A good work is also very easy to look at and see. And it's good things that people do. And God wants us to do good works It says that we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that we're his workmanship, that he's made us to do great things, to do great great exploits, amen. So where does a dead work fit in? Most people think that dead works are evil works. Dead works are not evil works. Dead works are good works in nature, but they have the wrong motivation. A dead work is something that we do to try to get or keep right standing with the Lord. And so a dead work could look like, you know, Lord, I went to church on Christmas and Easter this year. And so those, that's a good work. Or, Lord, I went to church. I'm just only teasing if you, you haven't been here in a while or whatever, you know. Anyways, come on now. we got to have fun. Or, Lord, I've been to church all 52 times last year. Now, bless me. That's a dead work. A good work is, God, I love you. I'm going to go to church all 52 times next Amen. year. And you do it just because you love God, not because you're trying to get something from God. And this is even preached from pulpits, and, and people don't see it as that. Preachers don't recognize it as that. But you know a dead work also is. I, I heard people say so many times that you, know, you give your way into prosperity. No, you don't. You don't give your way into prosperity. You believe your way into prosperity. Giving is a corresponding action to what you believe. For me, I know that I'm already prosperous. God has prospered me. Jesus became poor so that, I, so that I, through his poverty, might be made rich. You can't just give your way into prosperity. If that was the case, I mean, I'd be like a, like a there, we'd have to invent a new number. I'd have so much money because I'd just give and I'd get more back and i just give. And for most of us, we, it would be like that. That's not how you prosper. You prosper the basis of prosperity and any other blessing that the Lord has for us. It's the same thing. It's all through faith. But we've got this, even with finances, this mentality in the church that, you know, hey, look, I really want to see increase. And so God, here, I'm going to give. And, you know, you give. And then after a month or two months and you don't see any increase, your heart starts to change. And you go, God, I've been given. How come I'm not seeing this thing here? And what you're doing is you're giving, trying to twist God's arm, thinking that you're going to receive blessing because of your good works. When, in fact, they're not good works, they're dead works because you're trying to motivate God, you're, and your motivation for doing it is to get something instead of going, God, I just, I just want to give. I determined in my heart, because there is a law of seed time and harvest, and when you give, it will be given back unto you. I believe that. I can show you that many places from, from the word, but for me, when I give, I determine that if I never got back one more penny for the rest of my life, I would still give to God, because I love to give to God. I love God. That's what a good work looks like, see, we do so many of these things that we do, and we have all these religious gymnastics in our mind about, I did this, well, how come this isn't working? And I did this, and God, you, you, how come you didn't bless me over here? And Well, if I do this thing, then, man, God's really going to come through. No, that's not how it works. If you're doing something to try to get or keep favor from the Lord, that's not grace, that's a dead work. And you've put yourself back underneath of the law. So the reason these two things go together here of repentance from dead works and faith towards God is because if you are into dead works, your faith is in yourself and it's not in him. If you are into dead works, your faith is in yourself, it's not in him. So what he's saying is that you need to repent from trusting yourself and you need to put your faith in God. You need finances, trust the Lord work, do things that you need to do. And if the Lord says, give, give, whatever, but your faith is in him. It's not in your ability to do certain things, to twist his arm, to give, get him to give to you or do something for you. As a matter of fact, if you go on and you look in Hebrews chapter nine, look here in Hebrews chapter nine, it says in verse 13, Hebrews nine and 13, It says, for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, which is, we basically don't use any of those terms in modern day church. So you're like, what the heck is that? This is talking about the old covenant sacrifices that were made and they were made to to cover the sins of the people and to cover the wrong, you know, the wrongdoings of the people, but it never did anything in terms of their, of their conscience. And the reason why is because the sacrifices under the old covenant had to be offered over and over and over and over over again. It was a constant reminder of their failure, of their mess up, and the fact that they really weren't right with God in their, in their own ability. And so then, when when Jesus came, it changed everything. And look here in verse 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You cannot have two masters. You are either serving dead works or you're serving the living God. That's strong language, but it's truth. If you were trying to get to the Lord or keep relationship with the Lord because of how good you're doing or you think you're cut off because of how bad you're doing, then you're in a system of works. Those are dead works and you've become a master to yourself because your relationship with the Lord is all about your performance and not about what Jesus has done. So this is why he says to cleanse your conscience from dead works to go on and to serve the living God. And you know, the only way that you can really do that, that we can do that, is we have to know the the atonement that was really made and really how far reaching it is. So let me go back to Romans. Let's go back to Romans and look here in verse 5. Romans chapter 5. Are you all with me? I think most of you are just letting this sink in for a moment. We think about doing good and we think about doing evil or not doing evil, but we don't think about very much about the motivation behind why we're doing good works. But most of the church, most of the church, I mean 90% of the church or more, in my estimation, and my opinion, are caught up into dead works. And it doesn't come from an evil heart. Understand that. It comes from a heart of, of wanting to have relationship with the Lord, of wanting things to work right, of wanting to receive God's blessing, but people are just going about it completely backwards. Jesus came in. And he redid everything so that we didn't have to go through, jump through hoops anymore to be blessed. We're just blessed. You know, oh, back in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, I've heard this for years. And the first 14 verses talk about the the blessing of the law. And the last, like verse 15 through like verse 58, I think it is, talk about the curses of the law. So the first... 14 verses say, if you do this, you'll be blessed. 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 And then when you get to verse 15, 15 through the rest, that if you don't do this, you don't keep this, then you know, your, your oxen are gonna be torn up and your crops are gonna fail and you're gonna have boils on your body and all, all of these kind of things. And so for years, I've heard people say, you know, we're redeemed from the curse of the law and so the bad stuff isn't gonna come up on you if you're not doing everything right. And that's true. You're not going to be cursed with the curse if you're doing things wrong anymore. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the whole world. That means that the God's wrath was appeased on Jesus. And when we mess up and when we don't do things right or we do things wrong, God's wrath isn't being poured out on us because Jesus took all of God's wrath. So I'd look at the last 15 or the verse 15 in Deuteronomy 28 all the way through the end of the chapter and I'd be like, well, praise God, the curse isn't going to come up on me. But you know, the first 14 verses are also a curse because it says that if you're going to have this, you got to do this. And if you're going to have this, you got to do this. And if you're going to have this, well, then you got to act this way and you got to do this thing. And so what happens is that it's like a noose put around our necks to where we go, well, God, if I'm going to be blessed this way, I've got to do this thing. And if I'm going to have a good marriage, I got to do this thing. And if I'm going to make money and be prosperous, i got to do this thing. And during that time, it was good that they were able to have that, that they could go, well, if I do this, God's going to bless me. But for the time we live in now, we, our covenant is so far superior to what they had. Because now our faith is in what Jesus has done, and we are blessed with all of those blessings because of what Jesus has done. And not because we keep the law. Not because we do everything right. And you say, well, are are you saying that the law is, is bad to keep? No, the standard in the law is right, but trying to keep it to be justified before the Lord is wrong. That's called legalism. Legalism is when you try to keep or attain some standard before the Lord in order for him to bless you. And under the old covenant before Jesus, that is how it worked. You would be blessed just like it was written in the law, or you would be cursed based on if you did things or didn't do things. And, you know, the reason why God gave the law, the primary reason, he was trying to help people understand, first of all, this is right and this is wrong, but also you can't do it because the people back then, they didn't keep the law. Even the first 14 verses, they couldn't keep it right. So it always left them in a place going, God, I just need your help. And finally, after 4,000 years of people crying out, I need your help, Jesus came, and on this side of the cross, we get to reap all the benefits of what Jesus did. So we no longer have to be in a place of dead works, but we can cleanse our conscience from dead works just to serve the living God. Amen. Oh man, that's, that's really good preaching. So look here in Romans chapter five. And we're gonna start in verse six. And if you'll allow me, I'm gonna read. Will you allow me? Thank you, great, let's read. Romans five and verse six. It says, for when we were still without strength, In due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this. Jesus died, paid the price for all mankind. It has to include all mankind. It can't just be believers because it says that while we were still sinners, that meant that we were out in the world. So that included everybody else in the world too. Jesus died and paid the price for everybody. While they were still sinners, he was reconciling himself to the world. Look at verse 9. It says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved saved from wrath through him. When you get saved, you're not less justified than the rest of the world. You're more justified than the rest of the world. See, sometimes we'll want to preach to the lost and be like, man, God loves you. God cares for you. And he's you know, he's, he'll do anything. He died and paid the price for you. And we just, it's this poll to get them to accept Jesus. That's a good poll. But then it's like, once people are saved, it's like, well, you know, you need to do da, 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 and you'll be blessed. And you need to jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop, and you'll be healed. And if you're not doing it kind of like the one guy that I was talking about earlier, God very well might put a sickness on you to discipline you and teach you something. Can we say works mentality? Who can live underneath of that? Who can live up to that? Nobody can live up to that. That was the whole whole purpose of why Jesus came was to reform and change things. Hold your place there in Romans. I want to flip back over to Hebrews. Let me show you something here really powerful where we were just at. Look here in Hebrews chapter nine. We were just here in Hebrews chapter nine. Let's back up to verse 10. And to give you a little backing on this, this is talking about the priests and and how they had all of their duties that they would do, and they would have all of their washings and sacrifices and everything that they did. And so I'm jumping in here for time's sake in verse 10. It says, Concerned only with foods, talking about the priests, that they're concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Everybody say, Reformation here's what reformation means it doesn't mean you throw out and bring in new it means you change what's already there you reform you reshape something so the system that god made for causing man to be justified before him was right the system was right It required blood for us to be in right standing with the Lord. But the problem is, is that all of the blood up until Jesus that had been shed and all of the the burnt incense and all of the sacrifices and all of the offerings that they did, none of that was able to be an eternal sacrifice that Jesus made that would end all of the other sacrifices. None of them were able to do it. So every time they would make these sacrifices and on the day of atonement, once a year, what would happen is that the high priest would go in to the most holy place and he would bring with him a sacrifice and that was to, to atone for the sins of the people from the past year, but only the past year. And that was kind of like, well, in case we missed anything, we're gonna have a day of atonement that's gonna cover anything that we missed. And they had their daily sacrifices, they had their, their, their new moons and the Sabbaths and just all of the stuff that they did always pointed to we have to do something if we're gonna earn something from the Lord. But when Jesus came in, the system was the same. It still required blood. It still required a sacrifice. But instead of going into a sanctuary made with these hands, these physical hands, into a tabernacle that the Lord had Moses build or into Solomon's temple or in any of the structures that had the mercy seat of God, Jesus went in as the high priest with his own blood into the most holy place one time. So Jesus went in, he reformed, or he reformed, he reshaped what was already there. It was the right system, but the elements were wrong because the blood of, the, of bulls and goats and lambs and all the things that they did, it was never able to atone for the past, present, and the future. Only Jesus was able to do that. So every day and every week and every year they made sacrifices. It was a continual reminder that they had to do something in order to earn God's favor. Well, look at what it says here in verse 11. It says, But Christ came, because remember, this is talking about the priest. It says, But Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. He entered the, entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jump down to verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Listen, you don't have to go. You can't go to anybody else as a mediator between you and God. You can only go through Jesus. For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So what Jesus did was a once-for-all thing. It paid the price for past, for present, and future tense. Sin, not only sin, but also for us to be blessed. Just go ahead and shout hallelujah back there because he had to get out of his seat and he's going like this because he knows what I'm saying is the truth. Amen. And this just, this, I'm telling you, some of y'all start, you're starting to get set free. When I started down this path, you're thinking, I'm not sure where he's going. Now you're like, I think I like where he's going. This is, this is setting me free. See, you understand this, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, well, pastor, and I've, had, I've had many people leave the church over the years to say, pastor, you preach things like that, people are going to go live in sin. You, 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 can't, you can't get a precious gift from the most precious person and understand what's been given and why he gave it and then want to go and punch that person in the face. You might still struggle but if you've received this precious gift from the Lord, it does something to you on the inside. It makes you go, God, I, I want to live for you. I don't know how, I'm still struggling in areas, but I want to live for you. You understand the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Grace, unearned, unmerited, what God's given to us, that's what causes power and victory in our life. Yes. The grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly in this present age. But it's the grace that does that. It's the gospel that does that. It's not hard preaching. It, legalistic preaching doesn't work. Preachers have been preaching for years. You need, to, you need to straighten up, and you need to quit living in sin, and you need to do things right. And, you know, they usually talk like that. <laughs> and the problem is, is it's not working. Why? Because they're, they're bringing people, and they're, they're including Jesus and in saying, yes, you need to be saved but then they're bringing them right back under law and they're saying you need to do this and this and don't do this and don't do that and then you'll be right with God. You can't do enough stuff to be right with God. You can't do enough stuff to earn the favor of God. You can't be good enough. So you might as well hang it up and go and trust in the Lord, put faith in God, repent from dead works, and put faith in God, and watch how all of the bad stuff you've been doing, all of, the, all of a sudden you can start doing the right stuff. Because if you don't understand your position, you'll never go to the place that you are positioned in Him and the Spirit and deal with your condition. Because if, you're, if you think that God relates to you according to your condition, you will stay away from God thinking that he's going to smite you down, that he's going to put a curse on you, or that he's just not going to bless you or something. And that's the way that most people, if you have a works-based mentality, then that's how, that's how you go to the Lord is based off of your works and not based off of going into the presence of God and saying, Lord, I'm here to receive Help in my time of need. I'm coming before the mercy of God because I need help. But I do know this, Father, that you've declared me righteous because of Jesus. It's not because of my own righteousness. It's My own righteousness is as a filthy rag. I could not live righteous enough. I could not live holy enough to be in your presence. But because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has atoned for, now I'm entering in, I'm coming in. And I thank you, it's because of your mercy, but I stand here with boldness. And Father, help me with the thing that you know that I've been needing help with. And when you can understand your position in him, you'll deal with your condition. You won't have any shame. You won't have it because God sees it all anyways. He sees it all anyways. But when you understand that your condition, your issue, your dysfunction, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, it doesn't change your position with him. Here's a great balance. And here we are. And hold your place in Romans because I'm coming back to I'm just getting fired up, baby. Look here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, Hebrews 10 and 14. Oh, let's start in verse 12. Nope. Let's start in verse 11, Hebrews 10 and 11, but I'm going to get to 14 real quick. And it says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Notice it can never take away sins. It only Tones for what is done, but it can't take away the, the whole sin problem. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever for those who are being sanctified. There's your balance right there. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Sanctification is a process from the time you get born again until you die. You will continually, you need to continue to allow the Lord to sanctify you, to cleanse you, but you're not doing it to keep your relationship with him. That came from the fact that he has perfected forever you, the one being sanctified. Your perfection in the Lord came through Jesus, not through you. You're already at a standard. And when you see the standard, you start to operate from the standard that you're at in Christ all of the other junk that you, got, having, uh, you have going on in your life, you're dealing with, God can begin to deal with that and bring it up to the standard that you're at. And until that point, there's no condemnation. You just continue going in. Look, people don't, most people, I'll say most, most people don't want to sin. They just don't know how to get out of it. This, I'm telling you, this is how you get out of sin because grace is what empowers you to do it. Sin is fun for the flesh. It feels good on the flesh. If it didn't, we wouldn't do it. But it's very hard on the conscience. Man has a conscience. Now, people can get their conscience seared to where they don't even care about the nastiness of what they're doing. So that's a dangerous place to be at. But most people want to be free. They don't know how to be free. You cannot be free unless you have the one that can help you, help you get set free. And if you think that you can't go into his presence because you're unholy or unworthy or whatever then you're never going to go there and get the help that you need. Recognize that you're not holy and righteous in and of yourself, but how he has created you and made you, you are. Then you go in and you say, all right, Jesus, I got all this flesh stuff. I got all this stuff in my mind, will, and my emotions, and in my body. I need to deal with this stuff because it's ruining my witness. It's ruining my relationships. I'm, I'm living in a place that I don't want to live or whatever the situation is. But if you can understand your position is with Christ Jesus... And in his righteousness he's given to you, you can go and deal with all that stuff. And I would say that anybody that, that would say, well, and, and you might say to yourself, most people wouldn't vocalize this. Well, we could just do whatever we want to do. I really question whether people have been saved when they say that. When someone says, oh, I could just live like I want to live. When, see, when God does something, when the creator does a work on the inside of you, it, ca- it changes your want to. It changes your desire. It may not, it may not always change your, underst- or doesn't change your understanding immediately, but there should be something in you that says, I want different from my life. So anybody that would say, oh, we can just, we can just live it up. I, I really question whether that person has really ever truly been born again. Because again, something changes on the inside. Let's go back and finish in Romans and just show you how powerful this is. Can you give me five more minutes? You know that means 10, but just give me five more minutes. <clears throat> oh, look here in, in Romans 5 is where we were at. And I forget what verse. I think we were in verse... 10 it says for if we were were enemies notice we were we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life now there's people that would say look God's justified the world And he's justified us as people that put faith in him. And most people, there are not most, excuse me, there are some people that will take these verses, and this is where they come up with ultimate reconciliation, part of where they come up with it, that ultimately everybody's going to go to heaven one day. I got news for you. Ultimately, everyone is not going to go to heaven one day. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to lose. If you don't put faith in what Jesus did, it will do you no good. And the next verse proves it. It says, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that through whom we have now received reconciliation. He gives it, but we still have to receive it. I could stand up here with a $1,000 in my hand and, and say this is a free gift, but until you come and receive that free gift, it's not going to benefit you. So, so God, yes, he has reconciled the whole world to himself, but people have to receive it if they're going to have that, that bridge built between them and God. They have to receive that reconciliation. Amen. That may not seem important to you, but it's important for the day we live in because there are people, the Bible says that even the very elect will be deceived. I don't know all of what that means, but I believe the word of God says that the very elect will be deceived. They're going to be deceived. And I know people now that have taken grace and not really understood it. And they've gone so far as to say, God's so gracious and so loving that he's just going to, everyone ultimately is going to go to heaven. I'm telling you, that is not the truth. I could show you that 20 different ways from the word of God. So then you got people that say, well, if he's a loving God, why would he send anybody to hell? God's not sending anybody to hell. People are choosing not to receive the payment that Jesus made. They send themselves to hell. That's the reality of it. And God's grace has been so extended to men. He's so merciful. He's so long suffering. If people don't receive that, that's what sends them to hell. There is only one God and there is only one way to heaven. And that is through Jesus. That is through us us putting faith in God's grace, us putting faith in the finish Work of the cross, that's what causes us to go to heaven, but you have to receive it. Okay, now here we go. This is the meat, this is the deal, this is where I'm going for. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, I want you to notice something. I'm going to come back and hit this, but notice that a parenthesis starts right there and then it ends in verse 17. I'm going to read verse 12 and then I'm going to read verse 18 because I want it to go together and then we'll come back and look at the parentheses. It says, therefore, justice through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 18, it says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. You wanna know how powerful the work that Jesus did? It's comparing what Adam did in the garden to what Jesus did on the tree. It's comparing to what Adam did with the one tree to what Jesus did with the one tree. Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says that they died spiritually. Well, that that they died because the Lord says that the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Well, they didn't die physically that day, but they did die spiritually. It also says that every seed produces after its own kind. And so what happened is that when they ate, they died spiritually, and then they started reproducing, right? And when they did, every single person that was born after Adam and Eve was born spiritually dead. So it's comparing what, what Adam did to what Jesus did. And it's saying here that what Adam did cause death to the whole world, but what, and again, you have to receive it, but understand the picture, but what Jesus did has caused spiritual life or righteousness to the rest of the world, to the whole world, to those who will receive it, but that's the impact that it made. And so when we get born again, we receive that for us to think that our actions could undo what Jesus did is putting what Jesus did at a lesser level than what Adam did. Because, see, we couldn't work ourselves out of the condition that we were in because of Adam. We couldn't work our way into righteousness. You can't work yourself into being right with God. It can only come through faith in Jesus. You can only be right because of the righteousness given to you by God. So if what Jesus did was greater than what Adam did, that means you can't work yourself out of relationship with the Lord out of right standing with him. Otherwise, if you could, what Jesus did would be lesser than what Adam did. I'm out of time, but let me read here in verse 13. It says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So Adam was a type of Jesus. So again, people entered into sin because of Adam and now people have entered into righteousness because of Jesus and we were held in captivity because of Adam and now we're held in captivity because of Jesus. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. Now I'm talking BC, before you received Christ. You're not a You don't, you don't sin because you're a, no, no, you're not a sinner because you sin. But you sin because you're a sinner. People think, oh, I sinned, so I'm not right with God. No, you were already not right with God. Before you got born again, you were already not right with God. That's why you sin. It's in your very nature when you're born into this world to sin, because you were born spiritually dead. You were not born spiritually alive. So then people look at their actions and they think, oh man, this is cutting me off from God. No, what's cutting you off from God is not allowing him to change that nature on the inside if you've not been born again. But once that nature is changed, then the reason you sin is because you don't understand what God's given you. You have an unrenewed mind. We have a residue from the old man that's still there or that was there that's not there any longer. Amen. Amen. So the reason that we entered into sin was because the nature we were born into. It's not because you sin. Some people say, man, I've, I've heard people say things like, I've, I've sinned too much. God can never forgive me. God's not looking to forgive you of your individual sin. He's looking to forgive you of your sin nature and give you a brand new nature. It includes forgiveness of your individual sins, but your individual sins because the nature of who you were caused you to sin. Your actions didn't cause you to become defiled before the Lord. It was the very nature that you were born into that you couldn't help. So when you get born again into the kingdom of God, and by the way, Jesus is not only the second Adam, but he's the last Adam. There's not going to be another Adam. And you come into that relationship. Now you have a new nature. And your actions, good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't cause you to come out of relationship with the Lord because what Jesus did is is so substantial. Look at this in verse 16. It says, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment, which came from one offense, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned, and didn't it reign? It reigned through the one, the one being Adam. Much more those who receive abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Righteousness is not something you work into. It's something you receive as a free gift from the Lord. You can never be righteous enough in your actions to to obtain anything from the Lord. It's a free gift that he gives to you. And if you understand this, because it says that just like death reigned through the one, so will reign through the one Jesus Christ with the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. You know, why? you know why sin is reigning in your life? Because you don't understand the gift of righteousness that's been given to you. If you've been born again, if you haven't been born again, you've not been made right with God. But if you're a Christian and you're struggling with living right, it's because you don't know what's been given to you. Because if you know what's been given to you, according to this, you'll reign in life. When you reign, sin doesn't. When you reign, sickness doesn't. When you reign, bad relationships don't. And on and on and on the list that goes, you reign in the life because of what God's given to you. You know what it means to reign? It means that you rule, you have authority, you stay on top of the things instead of the things staying on top of you. So the answer isn't harder preaching, isn't stay away from sin, isn't quit doing all these things. It's understand what God's given you, the position that you're in with him and start acting like the prince or the princess that he, he has made you. Because when, when I see people wallowing around in the mud and they've been, they've been born again, I think, what are, you, what are you doing down there? You don't belong there. Get on your throne. Reign and rule with him. Don't be dragged through the muck with all of the rest of the world. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing because you've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're royalty. Man, powerful stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.